0: And welcome to episode 353 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed whether we might need to look back at the technologies that were super hot in legal tech before AI sucked all the oxygen out of the room. In this episode, we have another very special guest in our Fresh Voices in Legal Tech series. In Fresh Voices, we want to showcase different and compelling perspectives on legal tech and much more. And we have another fabulous guest. Tom, what's all on our agenda
1: for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall We are thrilled to continue our Fresh Voices on Legal Tech interview series with Flo Nicholas, who is, among other things, the co-founder and chief operating officer of the DEI Directive and a strong voice on legal technology. We want our Fresh Voices series to not only introduce you to terrific leaders in the legal tech space, but also provide you with their unique perspective on the things you should be paying attention to, not only in legal tech, but in technology and anything else as well. And as usual, we're gonna finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we are so pleased to welcome Flo Nicholas to our Fresh Voices series. Flo, welcome to the Kennedy Mon Report.
2: Well, thank you. I am uh, delighted to be here and what a pleasure. Awesome. Before
1: we get started, can you give us a little bit of background? Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Tell us what your role at DEI Directive is, what DEI Directive does, and kind of what our audience should know about what you do.
2: Yes. Uh, thank you. I, again, appreciate being here. So at DI Directive, we are actually a technology company. Uh, I know a lot of times when people hear, you know, the, you know, kind of like the acronym DI, there's uh, this assumption to think, you know, workshops and consultations, which that's all great and very much needed. But what we're doing is kind of going a step further and saying, like, what do you do, you know, when you're creating these DI strategic roadmaps? You know, what do you do after you you do the workshops and you hire the consultations? You know, what's the ROI? What's the impact on the employees and how are you measuring the progress? So we're focused on data analytics right, for organizations that are like saying, we're building inclusive workplaces. That's great. And we want you to do that. And we want you to do it successfully. But we strongly believe that it needs to be done by measuring, measuring, you know, who you're hiring, understanding who's leaving your organization. And is this tied into, you know, that lack of diversity and creating inclusive workplaces? We also have a compliance piece to it as well. Because for organizations that have 100 or more employees, uh, they have to complete the EEO1 form. So because we integrate with HRS systems, we're able to auto-populate the EEO1 form and help organizations stay off the naughty list of the EEOC. So that's in a nutshell what I do uh along other things as as being you know sitting on several boards and being an advocate for uh technology in my computer and uh, not in my computer in my community and globally as well.
0: Flow as our audience knows, and and you probably do as well, sometimes I get really frustrated with how difficult it it still is to explain technology, both old and new technologies, and its benefit to those in the legal profession. I would also say it's really frustrating, especially these days, to explain the benefits of improving DEI in organizations as well. So when I heard you speak at the ABA's Week Women of Legal Technology Summit, I knew you'd be a perfect guest for this series. Would you talk about your approach to communicating with lawyers and others in the legal profession about technology?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think technology, I think one of the biggest uh, issues that I see right now is it's there's so much and it's coming at such a fast pace. So even for someone like me, who I consider myself to be tech savvy, there are some days where I'm like, oh, my God, I understand how this works. And then tomorrow there's like five different products and upgrades. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, how do I keep up with this? And I'm married to an electrical engineer and I've worked with engineers and the way they talk, it's like, "Uh, I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> did you mean to say it like this? So when I used to work with Laura Federick uh, of how to contract, we had a YouTube channel show, which we would invite legal technology vendors to come do a demo of the product. And then I would ask questions. But the way I would ask questions was very simple because I believe in you know, simplicity versus complications and complexities. Right. And what I noticed that and the feedback that we got was, oh my God, I understand exactly what you're saying. I'm not, I'm understanding the benefits of this contract lifecycle management too, because you're explaining it in such a way that it's so simple. Right. And being married an engineer, and I know this because my husband talks in this in, in this language that can be so super techy that the average person might not really fully understand. So I like to kind of take all that. You know, and 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 then just say, okay, so you meant to say A plus B equals C, correct? You know, so it's people want to learn. People are eager to learn. People are eager to start leveraging these tools. The problem is they they need to understand the why, right? They need to understand the benefit. And in order to do that, you've literally got to speak their language. Right, and I understand that there's this kind of ideology that with with lawyers, like we're like super brilliant, like we know everything, right? Newsflash, we don't, <laughs> right? We don't. So you you just gotta you know just bring it down a notch, uh, and and make it a little bit more simple and less complicated. Uh, that way people understand the benefits, and they they're gonna now want to actually use the tools versus you know what, this is too much. For me, it's time consuming because now I got to learn how to use it. Then I got to learn how to implement it. Then once I learn, then I've got to train my team. Make it simple for me so that everyone can use it in my office and and, and as well as myself. So I think that's the trick when it comes to really kind of pushing out the benefits of legal technology to lawyers. It's got to make it easy for them to understand it.
1: Back when I was a lawyer and was learning that I didn't want to be a practicing lawyer anymore, and I was more into the technology, I was helping our lawyers with that, and that was exactly kind of the right space to be in because I could, I could talk to them like a lawyer does, but I could also simplify it for them uh, in a way that they're like, "Oh, great! Now IT is not coming and telling us all of this stuff because we don't understand anything right. they're telling us." So I totally get it. I think that makes. I think that's a, a very important part of it. I have a two-part question around kind of what you're doing and what you're seeing with DEI Directive. So my first question, and I've been debating on whether I want to ask them separately or apart, but I, or together, but I think I'm going to ask them together. So I, I work a lot with corporations these days, and I don't uh, often come in contact with the people who are responsible for DEI management process at corporations. So I'm interested to know kind of What part of the management process is difficult, is the most challenging for corporations? I'm assuming that you probably also work with law firms too, but I would assume you're working with corporations as well. And then two, I'm from Texas. Um, I'm sure other states have passed laws. Texas passed a law that made it, uh, that basically abolished DEI initiatives in state government. They are threatening now to sue corporations over DEI initiatives. I'm assuming that's probably happening in other states that are passing similar legislation. How is that affecting your work, if at all? Is it, is it doing anything to that? I'm interested to know what's happening out there in the corporate world in response to legislation or things that we're starting to hear.
2: Sure. So I think I'm going to start with the second part first, and then it trickled down to, because it, I think that probably makes more sense. So here's the thing. Right. So we have the Supreme Court ruling uh, that recently happened in affirmative action. Right. And then we also are seeing in other uh, w- which looks like to be predominantly conservative states that are taking, uh kind of like a, a harsh stance when it comes to DEI. Right. And. What we're seeing is that all this kind of legislation and the Supreme Court ruling is is creating a, kind of almost a massive confusion as to is DEI dead? Is DEI illegal? Oh, we can't have DEI in our organizations. We've got to stop our DEI uh, initiatives. I just want to make it very clear that some of the things we're seeing are not necessarily an impact on private sector. The Supreme Court ruling was focused on the you know, public education, right? The higher education system, right? And the EEOC shortly after also issued a ruling that made it very clear, especially to corporations, to, hey, be careful not to stop your DI initiatives. And as a reminder to everyone listening, we do have uh, employment laws. We do have civil rights laws that have not been deleted. They are still present and they are still legal. And right now, the EOC recently released their year-end report. And litigation for bias and discrimination is up, all right? And just last week alone, we've seen two companies that have gotten fines that are over, if I calculate it, that was 2020. So we're looking at over $40 million. Uh, one was Apple for bias and discrimination where they have a fine uh, that's coming over about $20 million uh, and they were bias bias and discriminatory hiring practices, right? So what organizations are struggling with now, where it's difficult uh, for them to know how to move forward. And some are kind of circling around, dumbing down some of their uh, DEI. We're, we're seeing even the word DEI kind of slowly, you know, getting taken out. We're, we're seeing the replacement with, instead of a chief diversity officer, you might see a chief people officer, maybe a, a, a chief impact officer, uh, or maybe a belonging officer. and. Again, what I want to make very clear is we have existing laws that still protect employees. And we are seeing settlements, large settlements uh, that are coming out in favor of employees who are suing for bias and discriminatory hiring, right? So some of the things that we're seeing in the media, uh, and I warn organizations, is do, do not drown yourself with distractions, Right. And I think this is where legal departments are also going to pay, uh, play a critical role to help their organizations understand and filter through this noise. Right. And help them understand we have existing employment laws. We still have the EEOC office. Right. We, we still have to push ahead. No one is saying, and with all whether it's the Supreme Court ruling and everything else is saying, no one is saying that we cannot create inclusive workplaces where everyone belongs, right? There is nothing that's stopping organizations from doing that, right? So organizations can still push forward and and move forward and create inclusive workplaces and be intentional. One of the things I'm noticing where there's probably some barriers, right, is sometimes there's a tendency to want to follow the lead of what other organizations are doing. A great example is after George Floyd killing. Organizations were issuing out DI statements like it was Oprah's favorite things, right? Everybody had a DI statement. And then now, post George Floyd, three years later, we've seen the tech layoffs right? And we've seen some of the data that's coming in from those tech layoffs is uh, a disparity and on who's getting impacted. We're seeing uh, the impact more on on, on women. We're seeing the impact more on people of color. And with that as well, we're seeing a lot of organizations who are starting to essentially get rid of some of their DEI programs and some of their funding, right? And that's a travesty because when organizations are issuing those statements, before they do so, they need to reflect on the why. Why are we issuing the statement? Why are we hiring a chief diversity officer or chief impact officer? What is our bottom line here, right? If there is no clear path to what the bottom line is, then what happens when organizations want to have this window dressing is what a term that you, you'll hear a lot of. The window dressing is almost like having a mannequin, right? It looks great. Everything like, wow, that outfit is awesome. And then you go in the store and it's empty. You can't purchase anything, right? It's that window dressing presumption off. we're an inclusive organization. And then when you come into the organization, it's nothing but, right? So the problems with a lot of organizations is the ROI. And the business case justification, why do we need to be intentional and be inclusive and, and, and have diverse lawyers, for example, and have different perspective? Why is it important? And a lot of chief diversity officers that I speak to, and sometimes their barrier is being empowered to actually make a change. They're being hired to come into organizations and they have no decision power. They're not empowered to really move forward with creating this DI strategic initiatives that actually have an end goal where there is an impact. And those are the things that why we say you've got to measure the progress, because if all you're saying is just statements with no action, that's why we're not seeing any change happening at all in most of these organizations. When
0: I was at Mastercard, I was, as a global, globally diverse company, uh, was you know you just you, you got the the message all the time that if you you didn't have like a diverse group looking at things, you just made really big mistakes, and and so I think that the sort of Like that why notion and to understand the benefits is is so important. Let me shift gears a little bit, because one of the things we found in the Fresh Voices series, which we originally thought was going to be a lot about, you know, specifics about technology, we found that our favorite part and our audience as well is learning about our guests' career paths. Would you talk about your own career path and what kinds of things you've done?
2: Yeah, I'd love to. So, you know, when I was in high school, I was part of the speech and debate team, and I always, like, loved arguing, you know, and, and just having fun, you know, you know, coming up with a different pro and con argument. And so it was either, you know, I was going to be a doctor or I was going to be a lawyer. And chemistry was not my friend, okay? I just, <laughs> it was just, it was, it's even when I saw, I went to Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts, so shout out to Holy Cross. And I just did not do very well. Uh, I remember my first semester uh, in the math, it it was just not doing well, but I did great. I loved English and I loved philosophy. I just loved it so much. And I really excelled in, in, in both of those subjects. So I said, okay, English philosophy, okay, I'm going to law school. (laughs) So ended up uh, going to law school and And one of the things that I look back on that I wish I had that I do see now, and that's the good news, is just the mentors, right? I had no idea. I was just, you know, like, I'm going to go to law school and I'm just going to be this famous lawyer. I'm just going to be awesome, right? And that just was not uh, my career path in terms of legal. I really struggled after I graduated, you know, to get, get work and, you know, ended up, you know, in a small firm. But again, just really struggled to like really sprout and grow in terms of my legal career. So I said, all right, you know, um, let me try corporate. Maybe there there'll be more opportunities, you know. Leverage my legal degree, go into the corporate and atmosphere. And again, naive, didn't know, uh, you know, how the corporate world was set up. I thought I was gonna go in, leverage my juris doctorate, and I was—I don't know—it's gonna end up being CEO of of, uh, you know one of these Fortune 500 companies. And I went into telecommunications. Which, you know, in telecom, I was working in corporate technology operations and we I was working with engineers, construction teams, regulatory, and we were doing the modifications to the cell towers and uh, negotiating license agreements. And so I learned a lot. And I think that's where the the tech side of me really came out, because I had to challenge myself to learn how this technology worked. You know, the 4G. Uh, before I left, I was doing the 5G project. I'm like reading construction drawings. I was on the business side of the house, but I'm also working with legal and I'm also negotiating directly with other legal teams. And I'm explaining stuff to them. And, you know, I, that, that, that felt great. But one of the downsides of of being in corporate was the the lack of growth and looking at the org chart and seeing the lack of representation. And I wanted to transition so bad from the business side of the house to the legal side of the house, because I felt like, hey, after seven and a half years, it's a no brainer. I'm already drafting, reviewing, redlining this this license agreements. I know the master service agreements. I'm, I'm working directly with our business partner. So I thought it was going to be like, oh, flow, no brainer. How soon can you start? But I remember speaking with the head of legal and the department that I was in. And I was told, you don't have the experience. Although you've been in this organization for seven and a half years, your title was not legal. Therefore, the work that you've done does not equate to legal experience. And that killed... Me, like, my I just didn't know what else to do. Like, I mean, that just was a devastating blow because at that point, I felt like my legal career was essentially dead. If that's what she's essentially saying to me, how can I convince other organizations of this experience I have, not only on the business side of the house, having you know, created this business partnership, having negotiated like these tough deals with people like Foxwoods and working Mahegan Sun and all the VA, and that really was a dream killer for me. And I had the chance to work with Lara Frederick uh, at How to Contract and you know be a Chief Growth and Community Officer, but from then I just, I feel like there's a part of me that just um died still you know with with that blow by the legal department and i decided you know to just really take a break from you know the whole corporate world and and pursue you know the entrepreneurship world with doing that i think that was a great idea it was a risky because you don't have that consistent paycheck but it allowed me to reclaim me back right because i felt like i i kind of lost a part of me during, you know, my world in terms of corporate and just trying, I don't know, just feeling disappointment in myself of not having what I considered uh, really moved up the ladder as I had wanted to. And so now I've turned into an advocate, right? Because I, I saw the impact of the lack of diversity in the legal industry for me, the lack of diversity in the corporate world. And that has become my mission now to educate organizations to, you know, don't miss out on untapped talent that's out there. You know, people who are willing to come in and and work hard, but all they want is just that one person to give them an opportunity, give them a chance. And since leaving corporate, you know, and finding me, finding who I am again, I've managed to make a huge impact, not only in my state, by creating my own show called Get Tech Smart and educating my community about technology, the benefits, the risks. Uh, I've won awards like New Hampshire Tech Alliance, uh, Tech Professional of the Year, uh, New Hampshire Business Review, Outstanding Women in Business, and, you know, as, as you know, as well with the American Bar Association with Women in Legal Tech, and I finished doing my uh, a, a TEDx, right? So- All I needed was that one person to give me an opportunity. But what I got was Lisa Lang, you guys are familiar with her, and Laura Frederick, who saw in me what other people wouldn't give me an opportunity. And they pushed me to say, you are wonderful. You are an amazing person. You've got to figure that out on your own. Go out there and create things on your own. You don't have to wait for the doors to open. Create your own doors. And that's what I have been doing And also being an advocate for, again, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion in in corporations and in the the legal field as well. And I'm happy to also share that I recently signed uh, a contract where I'm going to be helping uh, a couple of these top law firms here in New Hampshire that are working on their 1L diversity internship programs. And I'm going to be helping them with that as well.
1: Wow, that is a great path story, a great lesson for everybody who is looking for that opportunity and understanding that there are ways to to get to it that are uh, important. We have a lot more to learn from Flo Nicholas, but we also need to take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. So let's go ahead and do that right now. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention
2: Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures— Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com slash simple.
0: And we're back with Flo Nicholas at the DEI Directive. Flo, I've been thinking a lot about to pick up on on some of the things that you said, and I do see especially with women of color in in law schools, that I think there's so much talent and uh, potential that employers aren't seeing. Or as you said, they, they sort of have these arbitrary guidelines that screen really great people out. So that to me is really interesting. And then I also think there's uh, tremendous potential with uh the uh, diverse law students coming out of, of school, uh, of getting into to legal tech and, and other roles. So uh, one of the things I'm thinking about at Michigan State, and I don't have the right words for it, but I, I kind of want to get your advice on this, is is there a way, like a, a program, an event, something that would appeal to this group to combine legal tech with that sort of diversity focus without maybe explicitly calling it that, but to say like, hey, there's a ton of opportunities out here. Like, don't ignore them. Look into these because there could be enormous uh, possibilities for you.
2: Yeah. So I think one of the things like with law schools, right, we have this, it's almost like tunnel vision, although it's gotten kind of better because we see all these technologies, but it's like, Work for a big law firm, you know, get into one of these big top law firms, right? That's that's like, it seems to be everybody's goal. I think that there are some law schools now that are starting to incorporate the legal technology courses, but I think that's a start. But I think the way they're incorporating those courses is, is more off a, hey, lawyers, be aware of the technology tools that you should be using versus, hey, there are many paths of what you can do with your legal degree. Right. And I think the advice that I will give for you is people need to know. Uh, And and a great example I'll give you is there is a young woman lawyer who is at UNH law school right now, formerly, you know, the Franklin Pierce. And she doesn't know what she wants to do with her law degree. And she doesn't know if she wants to practice or, or what. So somebody referred her to me and said, hey, we we, we think that you, you could probably be able to talk to her because you're in the tech and you've kind of done other things with your law degree besides just practice. So as I'm talking to her and I'm like, hey, have you heard of legal tech? She's like, no, I, what, what is that? I've never I never heard of that. So I, I went in there and, and I started talking to her and telling her about legal tech and talking to her about legal operations. Right. And these are things she's like, wow, I never knew. And so how about when we're having, you know, these big firms coming in and doing career, career days? Why can't it be a combination of the firms and legal tech companies that are coming in and doing career fair days where, you know, they're really getting exposed to. Yeah, you can go the law firm route if that's what you want. But, hey, we also have people who are from legal tech company For example, Eversword or Ironclad or any one of these, or, you know, uh, hey, we have people who have roles for legal operations, right? So I think that's where it starts is the exposure, right? The exposure and having them know that it's not just about getting into a top firm in New York or California or Texas. It's, It's about here are these various careers that are possible. You know, even bringing in You know, people who have taken their legal degree, we have a lot of CEOs and other executives in in companies that are not practicing, but have gone the business side route. And, you know, they've got a lot of zeros in their paychecks. So having those type of, whether it's a hiring event, whether it's a, you know, uh, webinar or mini conferences where you're bringing in, you know, various people. uh, And again, when you're bringing in various people, you also want to make sure that you're being intentional, that you're having a diverse representation Of different professionals that have gone the, you know, what people quote, quote unquote, uh, you know, the non traditional route, right? So that would be my recommendation in terms of uh, what you guys can do. And I'm glad to help if you want
0: to reach out. Yeah, we're building something at Michigan State called the New Legal, that's one word, uh, careers platform. With, and and that's one of our overarching goals is to make people aware of all the different, obviously the non-traditional, non-practicing, but these new types of legal careers and get the information out to people and help them uh, make connections.
2: I think that's brilliant.
1: Yeah, we need to ask the obligatory artificial intelligence question that we have on the podcast. Uh, we devoted our entire last episode to the fact that AI has sort of sucked all of the oxygen, as Dennis mentioned at the beginning, uh, out of the legal tech space lately, and we don't really hear much about it, but we still want to ask the question, and I think we run the risk of doing the same thing ourselves, but we still want to get perspective from the people that we talk to on the series, which is, what do you see as tools like ChatGPT and artificial intelligence playing in the in the in the in the legal technology market? Do you see that they are, you know, I, I saw something about AI as marketing gas that it's uh, that it's something that is kind of uh, less important than it really needs to be, and, and that lawyers should really be paying to the technologies that already exist that are really good that they should be using, or is this the the salvation that has just come to save us all? <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, depending who you speak on, it could be Salvation or the end of us <laughs> all, right? But I, I think that, you know, for me, I personally, uh, I love leveraging like GPT for for example, especially, you know, although my role is, you know, Chief Operating Officer, you know, I'm also like, you know, doing marketing stuff and just, you know, th- the ability to just knock out in terms of writing my content and then, you know, going into GPT and saying, Does this even make any sense what I just said? Right. You know, just kind of like that oversight is great. But in terms of for the legal world, right, obviously there's the caution. Right. Because on on the legal, you know, we're so known for being party poopers, you know, because we always got to look at the risk. Right. But the reality is there is a risk and you know we we saw that case that happened with the lawyer who used you know chat gpt and then it it, it fabricated you know case law that was you know non existent so i think for lawyers it's it's really more off and and this is what i also when i'm doing speaking engagements in the last one that i i did where it was specifically directed towards ai for kids i i said good tech hygiene And I think that good tech hygiene is something that can be used, whether for kids or adults, lawyers, doctors, for everybody. And I think that's where we are with tech. It's here. It's not going anywhere. I mean, OpenAI is is already starting to talk about, you know, chat GPT-5, right? And so clearly there's no end in sight. We now have companies like Microsoft and companies like uh, OpenAI who are saying, hey, We're willing to pay legal fees for any copyright infringement cases for people using our platform. So companies want us to use it. They're willing to pay our legal fees if something goes wrong, right? So we know AI tools are not going away. I think what we now have to focus on, how can we leverage them? In such a way where we are protecting clients, you know, again, we have the uh, privacy issues, you know, right? You, you don't want to paste any uh, information that is, you know, confidential into ChatGPT because, you know, again, there's warning signs all over it by now. So we need to hit the warnings and, and find ways of how do we use it, but we're also protecting our clients, right? So... It's, it's like anything else. It's it's learning that good tech hygiene and being aware that it's not going anywhere. So how do we live side by side with AI and use it as more of like an assistant and automation to you know get our day-to-day work done faster and more efficiently?
0: You know, Flo, one of the things that, that I've picked up uh, through this conversation so far is that you are really good at... Uh, learning new technologies and staying current with them. So, which I think is an essential skill these days, but maybe you could share some of your approaches and your tips for people of how they might do that themselves.
2: Yeah, so a lot of people are like, oh, what book are you reading? I'm like, ah, you know, I don't really read a lot of books. I, I read a lot of tech news. <laughs> so I love following tech news. Like, like every day I'm constantly just doing a search on what is the latest technology. And the way that I learn, because there's so much going on, it's, and it's hard to keep up. So I get so excited by what I see. And then what I do is I'll create, that's what I use my LinkedIn pa- platform for, is then I'll, I'll create my content based on, you know, what I have found. And I also create my TikTok videos based on what I have found and and educate people. So while I'm translating what's going on currently in, in the tech world, not only am I helping myself stay up to date, I'm also helping my audience. So like... I recently posted, so I do this little thing called, you know, tech news. And then I do the same thing on TikTok. You know, I always start with, in today's tech news, and then I'll tell them what's going on, right? And you got to do it where, again, you got to capture their attention and you got to keep it short, especially on TikTok. So it's like usually like a 60 second video. of like, you know, hey, guess what? Canada is snagging US tech talent and they've opened up these visas and they already have like 10,000 slots and they already filled out 6,000. What's going to happen, you know, in the future of tech when all these tech layoffs, you know, fizzle out? And now these companies like Microsoft, you know, and and Google and Apple, what's going to happen when they want top tech talent again? They're going to be gone. They're going to be, you know, across the border in Canada. So I just I just get excited about everything that's going on. And people get excited too. And I think what helps me keep going and, and keep researching, I research a lot and, and I play around with some of these tools as well. And I also call out some of the tools. You know, I recently called out a tool that I use because when I uploaded, you know, my video and use one of their, uh the, the AI templates, right. It's supposed to take my photo and then, you know, transition me into this like, you know, AI character. Well, but it transitioned me into a blonde, blue eyed, white woman. Right. So I was able to take that video and then say, you know, when you're hearing people talking about how AI, you know, needs, you know, we, we need it to be created, you know, using more diverse data. Here's why it's important to have diverse data because you need to have representation. It needs to be aware of the, how people look differently. You know, they have different skin tones, you know, different hair. And so I just use that stuff that I learned to educate others. And that's also why I created the show, Get Tech Smart, because then the research that I find, then I look in my community and I say, is there an expert who's local on blockchain Web3 technology that I can bring into the studio? And then we can talk about it. But again, in a way where people are going to understand and simplify it.
1: we got more to cover with Flo Nicholas, but uh, we need to take a quick break for a message from our sponsors and then we'll be right back.
0: Delegate out those tasks that take up your time.
1: And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And we are joined by our special guest,
0: Flo Nicholas at the DEI Directive. Uh, we have time for just a few more questions. So, Flo, who are the, the fresh voices in legal tech that you would like to single out and maybe have them join us as part of our Fresh Voices series?
2: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There is like so many people uh, in legal tech. Have you had Kat Casey on here yet?
0: No, we have not, but we know Kat.
2: Yeah, Kat is fantastic. Uh, I mean, her niche is e-discovery. I call her the e-discovery queen <laughs> because that's that's what she le- lives and breathes, e-discovery. And, and, and I think that she would be a phenomenal and fantastic guest to uh, definitely have on the show as well. Um, I follow her. I love her content. Uh, she's super bubbly. And again, I I where I think her and I are similar, uh, is is just the simplicity. Right. Although e-discovery is not my thing. I I don't, you know, I used to do litigation and have used e-discovery platforms. Before it was even like legal tech, you know, I was using e-discovery and and now I'm like, wow. I was using eDiscovery back in 2005 before it had this fancy <laughs> name, legal technology. So I would definitely highly uh, recommend Kat. I think she'll be a, a phenomenal guest for you guys. We haven't had any, ta- anybody talk about
1: eDiscovery. You know, that's where I sort of got my chops after law school, or after law school, after the law firm was working with eDiscovery. So uh, maybe it's time that we bring... Some people want to talk about that. That's a great suggestion. We want to thank you, Flo Nicholas, for being our guest on the podcast. Uh, It's been terrific. Lots of great information, Flo. Can you give uh, our listeners an idea of where they can learn more about where you're doing, how they might want to get in touch with you or how to follow you?
2: Yeah, so I'm... Easy to find. You can find me either as Flo Nicholas or hashtag non-boring lawyer. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also to visit uh, www.didirective.com if you want to know more about DI data analytics and compliance as well.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Flo. You were a fantastic guest and (laughs) non-boring, definitely. uh, It's it's an understatement. Great information. Uh, We love talking with you. Really great advice for our listeners. I definitely want to find some ways to get you to speak to the law students at Michigan State and Michigan, where I teach. But now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Flo, take it away.
2: Well, All I have to say is this, and this fast paced and ever evolving world where emerging and innovative technologies are advancing more quickly than we can keep up with, staying proactive is essential. To stay competitive and relevant in business or the job market, you need to be willing to learn and adapt to these new technologies. Amen to that. All right, my tip is
1: something that I, it's not something that I learned, it's something that I forgot that I learned a while back, which is I went on a, a trip a couple of weeks ago and um, I'm a big fan. If I find Android Auto in the car that I've rented, I like to connect it so I can get my map and I can listen to my music and do all that stuff. But the one thing that I didn't really think about when I connected my phone to the car was it a, a little box popped up, download all of your contacts information into it. And I just clicked Yes, without even thinking about it before I go, oh, wait, what did I just do? And then I looked on the list and it, there were probably 40, 50, 60 phones that were still listed on that list. So I could have typed Debbie's phone or Jared's phone or Apple, uh, Apple uh, iPhone 15, and they were all listed there. And I thought, how much personal information is on on rental cars that we don't know about. Um, this is not legal technology but this is something that I think as soon as you turn that car in, before you turn it in, go into that phone and delete it from the car. It gives you the ability to delete that device. I'm hoping it deleted everything from it but uh, I it's or, or at least don't give it the opportunity to download your contacts. I would still delete it no matter what. So uh, just a friendly tip for all those hundreds of people who are still enlisted in, in that one car that I rented. Uh, go back and delete that stuff before you turn in your car, Dennis. So, Tom, I had the same
0: experience uh, recently, and you know, I clicked no and I deleted my phone because of the concerns you ex- expressed. And, and I point. don't know, I don't know how much good ultimately it it's, it will do, but every little yeah, bit exactly. helps on your your data privacy. So, I did this crazy thing potentially crazy thing uh, recently where I decided to change my office around. So I essentially flipped it from one side of the room to the other. So my parting shot is, my advice is to flip your perspective from time to time. So you may not want to take on something that big, but You know, it's getting toward the end of the year and you might want to do something really different, but just change your office around completely and see how your experience and your perspective changes. So what I was telling Tom, Tom and I both being left handed, is I now realize that in the old setup, there was something that wasn't working for me. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And now I realize that I by flipping the room, I've made my setup much more left handed for me. And it's actually I'm more comfortable. Things are at a place that make more sense for me, and it really works well. So whether it's your whole office or something else, just flip your your perspective from time to time and see what you might learn from that.
1: What you're not mentioning there is that while you flipped your office, you also decided to flip other rooms of the house over which your wife might have had something to (laughs) say about that, and that maybe not all of that flipping stayed the same after she saw your flipping. Uh, But.
0: That will be for the next parting chat. Not necessarily. You don't necessarily want to flip the living room while your wife is, is out of town. But she did like the new arrangement. Oh,
1: okay. Very good. All right. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, you can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for our show. Uh, you can find all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts on the Legal Talk Network website. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Or you can always leave us a voice mail. We still like getting your questions for our B segment. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a
0: podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. As always, a big thank you to the Legal Talk Network team for producing and distributing this podcast. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network.